proud home of your Los Angeles Dodgers. Welcome to off-season Dodger talk. My ball left field is on its way and a grand slam home run. Hosted by your favorite Dodger insider for this off-season, David Vassay. To be a part of the show, call 866-987-2578. You're a true professional, brother. And subscribe and podcast us wherever you listen to shows. Now, here's David Vassay. This is off-season Dodger talk. David Vassay with you until 8 o'clock tonight here on AM570 LA Sports. Coming up at 7.15, the man that is the most plugged in of any writer as far as these labor negotiations are. It's Evan Drellich. Evan Drellich. All of the names that Petros and Money talked about. No, it's Evan Drellick from The Athletic. He is the most plugged in of any other writer as it pertains to these labor negotiations between the owners and players. And I don't want to get into this every single night this deep because um, it looks like things are moving in the right direction with both sides scheduled to talk tomorrow. But Evan has been all over this going back to 2019. So we'll talk to him about what he knows and where these uh, labor negotiations are going starting tomorrow because tomorrow will be the first time both sides have discussed any parameters since before December. And it is day 42 of the lockout. So it's supposed to be a productive proposal from Major League Baseball by all the reports out there, including Bob Nightingale from USA Today. So this is a step in the right direction. It's not going to be by what we have read on the surface, a proposal that is going to be immediately rejected by the players union. So that's a good thing. And I guess according to the reports out there that were published today, the proposal that the owners are going to hand over to the players tomorrow do not include the service time part of um, the, uh, the negotiations. And that's where the players want younger players to get to free agency quicker. Um, but what this will include is raising the minimum salary of major league players from 600000 to 700000 by the end of this uh, negotiated collective bargaining agreement. And the reason why that's um, a big concession by the owners is the players feel that the minimum needs to grow with the growth of, uh, of, the, of the sport and how much revenue is coming into the sport. And published reports have said that no other major North American Pro League leans on its minimum salary players like Major League Baseball, and no Pro League pays a lower minimum salary. So that's why it's important to the players, and that's why this proposal is such a big step in the right direction to try to find a middle ground between these two sides. And the score is uh, the, the outlet that reported that fact and also reported back in 2019 that pre-arbitration players accounted for 63% of all the players to step on the field, and they have accounted for just 54% of the days of service time accumulated and only 9% of the player pay. 
So <laughs> you think about players that are bounced back and forth from the minor leagues to the major leagues for a short amount of time or um, young players that are taking veteran players' jobs on a roster. I mean, that's been a narrative over the course of the last 10 years where these analytical front offices are seeing surplus value and saying goodbye to veteran players that add a lot more intangibles and are better uh, better suited to come off the bench and play sporadically than young players. And the reason why they're doing that is because the veteran players cost more than the younger players. So that's a big step in the right direction for Major League Baseball to reportedly want to raise the minimum of salaries to $600,000 and by the end of the life of this negotiated CBA to 700000 Also, reportedly a big concession by the owners tomorrow will be trying to remove the qualifying offer from free agents. You may have heard um, this past winter, as we have heard the past few winters, when a player is a free agent for the first time and hasn't been traded from one team to another during the course of a season, a la Chris Taylor or Corey Seager, the team, the Dodgers, can offer them a qualifying offer, a one-year deal for the number that was set, which was $18 million. And if the player signs with another team, like Seager did, then the Dodgers would get a compensation draft pick. That doesn't sound like a free agent to me. It sounds like he's got a huge anchor to his ankle that is not allowing certain players to really explore free agency because teams don't want to give up a draft pick or move down in the draft to sign that player. So that's that's another big step to try to find some middle ground. So we'll talk to Evan Drellick about that from The Athletic coming up in our next segment. So a very... Very optimistic first step because um, you would expect the owners to uh, put some outlandish offer out there that the players would reject immediately since it is only what January 10th and everybody's talk or January 12th and everybody's talking about how these sides are going to get more serious as we get closer to the end of this month with pitchers and catchers supposed to report around Valentine's Day, but. If indeed the owners are going to include those two things in their initial proposal tomorrow, that is more serious negotiations that, than most were expecting uh, at this juncture of the month. So very good news. First good news, honestly, since uh, this whole lockout has started, day 42 of the lockout was today. Also some other baseball news, John Lester. John Lester has decided to call it a career. What a career it has been for John Lester, a three-time World Series winner, 200 wins in his career. He has a no-hitter, and in the World Series, he was one of the best pitchers that we have seen in the last 20 years. In five World Series starts, John Lester was 4-1 with an ERA of 177. He won two World Series with the Red Sox and the other with the Chicago Cubs. So uh, John Lester, tremendous career, tremendous pitcher, one of those few pitchers that actually pitched 200 innings multiple years of his career. That's not something we're going to see on a regular basis moving forward, but John Lester pitched 200 innings eight different times in his career. 
And um, he's a great example of a really great pitcher that isn't a Hall of Famer. No matter what the East Coast writers and how emotional they are in Chicago and Boston want to tell you, he's not a Hall of Famer, but he is a really good pitcher. And there's no shame in saying that just because I don't believe he's a Hall of Famer. But John Lester, one of the great pitchers of our generation, no doubt about it, big game pitcher, really good pitcher, but not a Hall of Famer. And he should be celebrated for a great career for everything that I just mentioned and more, plus beating cancer while he was pitching in the major leagues and coming back to do what he did. So congratulations to John Lester on a great career. When we continue here on Dodger Talk, we will get to our guest of the night from The Athletic, the man that is plugged in more than anybody else as far as the negotiations between the owners and players go. Evan Drellick will join us next on Dodger Talk right here on AM570 LA Sports. Lockout be damned. This is off-season Dodger Talk. Here's David Vasse. Welcome back to Dodger Talk. David Vasse with you until 8 o'clock. And as promised, we have the man that has been all over these labor negotiations going back to last year and maybe even sooner than that. That is the one and only Evan Drellick from The Athletic. Evan, thanks a lot for the time. Appreciate it. Anytime, David. Thanks for having me. There is only one man that is uh, plugged into all this, and we have him right now on the show. So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic over whatever proposal Major League Baseball is going to present to the union tomorrow or Friday. What should we expect, and uh, are you any more optimistic the season will start on time? I'm not expecting a lot of movement right away. I think the real win here from a fan perspective is that you have any talks happening at all. That's news. That's a good thing. That's something you haven't had happening about the core economics, you know, the real meat and potatoes topics since the lockout began. League and the union did meet a couple times in December, but they weren't talking about the heart of the issues. I don't think the league is going to make a proposal that's going to knock the players' socks off or even be uh, frankly, close to acceptable. It, it, it's a little too early in the process uh, as I see it and as I believe the negotiators see it. I, I don't think you're going to see this thing really move until the sides feel like they're in danger of losing something. And we're just not there yet. We're not at that point. But it is a good thing that they are going to at least get the ball moving again. What do you believe is the biggest hurdle between these two sides? The players have asked for a bunch of different changes in, in, in many areas. And if you go back to when the lockout started, you know, December 2nd uh, and December 1st was the last day of talks. Uh, the message from MLB to the players union was, we're not going to talk about revenue sharing. So the amount of money that's going between the teams, between the owners themselves, we're not going to talk about getting a free agency earlier we're not going to talk about getting arbitration earlier. So those are the three biggest things. At the end of the day, the question that's a little bit more of an open question is, well, when crunch time arrives, 
which of those is, is still going to be a problem, if any. Uh, I would be inclined to bet that the arbitration issue, getting younger players paid more, paid sooner, is the thing that's probably going to be the holdup here. I, I can't imagine getting players to free agency is the thing that's going to hold up this season. I, I just I don't see that. If you think back over the last few years, well, what's all the talk been about? It's really been about those younger guys and how teams are, are skewing younger and um, it, it ends up hurting the middle class in, in baseball. So I, you know, arbitration is the process by which players get paid real money for the first time. Right? Not that the major league minimum is nothing, but that that's when they start to see those real salary increases. And so I, I got to believe that the final battleground will end up including arbitration in some form or another. Evan Drellick from The Athletic is joining us here on Dodger Talk tonight, giving us the latest on this collective bargaining negotiations going on between the union and the owners. And Evan, you know, I just feel like the players have given up so much over the last 15 or 20 years over really inconsequential things. How much leverage do they have in these negotiations, and is there only leverage not to play? Yeah, this is something that didn't didn't dawn on me right away. And I I started covering business of baseball and this labor beat as a full time thing in 2019. So I've been at it now for, uh, I guess, two and a half years. I think when you think about collective bargaining, probably from afar, you think, well, it's about trading. It's about giving up something to get something. But but if you step back for a minute, if that were true, you'd never really see movement in one direction. It would always just be kind of a different form of the same thing. You know, if, if the players were getting 50%, then the next year the players would still be getting 50%. But over time, you have seen, you know, changes. You, you've seen things move in one direction or another. And I think it is the case, and it's pretty well established that, over the last two collective bargaining agreements of the last decade, uh, owners have made gains. Um, and you're right. At the end of the day, if you if you want to swing something in your direction, there is some trading you can do. If you're the players, you can say, okay, we'll give you the expanded playoffs. The owners want that because it gets them more money. But, yeah, uh, the power either side wields here is whether you show up for work and whether you're willing to make a deal on certain terms. And, and that's why you've seen, you know, going back to 94 and earlier, there were a lot of work stoppages in the history of baseball. Evan, do you feel like this could turn into something like 94 and 95, where both sides just don't have this trust uh, from one another, and maybe they need to get their own groups on the same page? Do you feel like it's going down that road, or is this completely different? I think it would be pretty stunning if we had anything close to 94-95 where you know you miss the World Series in 94 and then it bleeds over into the next year. Uh, I don't think it's impossible that you miss regular season games in 2022. But remember, there's so much more money, I think, even if adjusted for inflation now in the sport. There's so much more on the line on, on a nightly basis for every game that you miss. And you know, the pandemic wasn't good for anybody, but financially for owners, uh, it, it hurt. It wasn't great for players either. You know, they're both reeling from that. They have a game that uh, in today's you know, consumer entertainment world, um, you really can't risk that right now. You can't risk falling out of people's uh, minds. And so there's a lot of reason for them to get something done without 
missing a, a ton of time. The other thing I point to with this is, for now, we don't have that single issue or even a single set of issues, right? There's not one, two, three issues you can sit, sit there and go, I know that side is planting its flag on that issue, and we're not going to have a season unless that issue is resolved. In 94, the owners wanted a salary cap. The players said no. You don't have that one hot-button issue right now. We'll see if one emerges, though, as these talks go on. The sense I got from players, Evan, this past season when I would just ask them uh, about their relationship with the owners, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of trust from the union side when it comes to negotiating with Rob Manfred, and that was really apparent during the pandemic of 2020. Is that maybe the biggest hurdle in all this? Bruce Meyer, the Players Association, trusting that Rob Manfred is negotiating in good faith? There's no question that the trust between the players and the owners, between Rob and uh, Tony Clark, the executive director, and the lead negotiator, Bruce Meyer, not great, not good, hasn't been good for uh, a considerable amount of time. And I do think there is a point at which that can hamper you. What most people I've talked to, you know, people involved today or, or people over time who've been involved historically, is they really do say it always comes back down to the issues. And in general, I do think the kind of the, the fraught nature of the relationship probably gets overstated in so much as, you know, a management group and a labor union, they're not supposed to get along uh, at all point. It doesn't mean some work better together than others. That's definitely the case. The, the NBA, I think um, in more in more recent time, they, they have, they had a bunch of lockouts, but, uh, in more recent time, there does seem to be a little bit more harmony there. Uh, but, you know, harmony doesn't always get you what, what you want if you're, if you're the players or even if, if you're the owner. So you have two self-interested parties, naturally, that's going to lead to fights. As long as they are talking, you know, I don't think at this point you can sit there and go, uh, this relationship is totally kaput and uh, they'll never get anywhere. Uh, could it be better? Yeah, absolutely. Is it disastrous? Not yet. That's good news. Evan Drellick is our guest from The Athletic. He has been covering these negotiations since 2019, and nobody is more well-versed in these two sides and how they're going to find some common ground as we get closer to pitchers and catchers supposed to report for spring training in February. Now, Evan, we know Max Scherzer has been a very vocal member of the player committee on the union side. I remember back in 94 and 95, Bud Selig, who was still an owner at that time, Jerry Reinsdorf, were kind of the faces of the owner's side. Who would be the face of the owners and the biggest voice on the owner's side this time? Yeah, so there's a seven-owner uh, labor policy committee. You know, that's, that's kind of – that's. When we had the start of the lockout in, in Texas, and the sides were, were having those, you know, kind of last-ditch meetings, you have you have the players board there, and you have those owners there. So, the the chair of that committee is Dick Modford, who is the owner of the Rockies, you know, little, little National League West uh, continuity there. Uh, and so he's he's certainly a prominent voice. You also have John Henry, owner of the Red Sox. Uh, you have Hal Steinbrenner, owner of the Yankees. And you know, it's a mix of, of small market and large market teams. Ray Davis of the Rangers, Mark Adnazio of the Brewers. I'm probably leaving a couple out. But uh, as I understand it, you know, in the meetings thus far, you, you have the owners in there, you have the players in there. 
often the people who end up doing the most speaking in the meetings when you have these face-to-face meetings, though, is the lead negotiator. So it's Dan Halem, uh, the uh, deputy commissioner for MLB, and it's Bruce Meyer for the Players Union. But you will hear Dick Monfort uh, speak sometimes. My understanding is amongst the owners, he's the most vocal. And is it is there any sort of con- not conflict of interest, but uh, the interests of the big market teams are they lined up with uh, a Rockies owner or a Brewers owner? Do you feel like the owners are on the same page this time around? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can say this on the radio. Hell no! Is it would be my my, my instinct. Um, Look, I, I think at times they are. I, I don't want to overstate that, but, but, but historically, the interests of small market and large market owners um, have always been at odds. You know, if you go back, go back to 94 and, and um, you, know, you get Bud Selig kind of pushing that smaller market uh, contingent and, and the drive for a salary cap and, and revenue sharing, you know, revenue sharing, even today, really bothers teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers and the amount of money that they feel they have to you know, provide to, to allow these smaller market teams to subsist, or, or in some cases, the accusation would be to kind of sit there and do nothing and just rake in money. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that, there is that larger market view of the smaller market teams, uh, and then you have the small market team that says, well, we can't possibly compete with you spending 200 uh, 50 plus million dollars or whatever the upper echelon would be in a, in a given year. So the, the thing that it, it, it's, a, it's a very good question because one of the, one of the reasons you might not see movement right away is if you have Hawks on either side, players or owner side, but if Rob Manford has to keep a certain segment of owners happy and say, yeah, all right, you know, we look, we took it to the last minute before, we had to come off of this. We had to make a better offer. Yeah, that's going to drag things out if you have owners who just don't want to give uh, large market or, or small market. But the point is that the owner dynamics, uh, the, the dynamics amongst the owners themselves, it's not always just a clash between players and owners. It's owners versus owners, and sometimes it's players versus players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. And that's why you hear the narrative from the players' side of trying to stop teams from tanking and – try to get these teams to reinvest with the revenue sharing that they are receiving from the big markets back into the team. Uh, we know the Indians payroll is uh, less right now than what Max Scherzer by himself is going to make with the Mets. We all know about the Pirates and how they haven't reinvested the revenue sharing. So I was just curious from what you've been able to gather, how much of that dynamic may hold up the greater good of these negotiations. Yeah, you know, the argument around revenue sharing from the player side is if you lessen the amount that's going to teams, then the team, a team, let's, let's just use as an example, hypothetical, the Pirates. There's been a grievance against them. A team like the Pirates couldn't sit there and go, well, we, we don't have to spend on our roster and yet still make money, right? If, if, if you lessen the amount of money going to those teams, then what's the only way for a team to make money? It's to spend on its product so that it has a good product so that it has fans in the seats and, you know, makes it to, to whatever round in the playoffs, right? It, it, it's the idea that these teams with the state of revenue sharing can kind of exist comfortably and they don't, they don't have to trot. Uh, so that's what the players are trying to get at there. And I really don't know what's going to happen. On the, I mean, <laughs> nobody knows, but 
it's it's something that is collectively bargained, and there have been changes to revenue sharing over time. Uh, but you know, the league stance thus, thus far is you're not touching revenue sharing. Um, you know, whether the players end up saying that you've got to change this or we're not going to play uh, is is an interesting question. I, I'm kind of leery that it that it would actually end up being an end game issue, but uh, it it's certainly possible. And you know. The big market teams will always want less revenue sharing, and the small market teams will, will always want more. All right, Evan, before I let you go, with everything that you've said and the twists and turns of these negotiations, I, I know they haven't spoken since December, uh, actually late November, but uh, your best guess as far as when this may get resolved and how much of the season may be lost, if any. Yeah, I said in a mailbag, uh, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago, that I, I think there's... I love those mailbags. <laughs> exactly. That there's an 85% chance the season starts on time. Probably right now it's got to be a little lower than that. Um, I, I think what we are definitely... I don't want to say definitely. I, th- I think there's a, a ever-growing likelihood that spring training will be delayed to the point that I might actually be surprised if spring training were to start on time. Uh, there's just so much ground to cover, and you know this. If you really boil it down, it's a large staring contest, and when you're poking each other in the chest, it's it's hard for me to believe that um, one or both sides aren't going to want to test the other's resolve by missing the start of spring training. I, I'm I'm not saying that's officially what's going to happen, but if you ask me, yeah, I I think spring training will be delayed. I just don't know how long. Well, I'm sorry, Evan. That may mean you might not be able to make it out to Goodyear, Arizona. I know how much everybody loves going there. <laughs> Without Ken Gurnick there, what reason would I have? But I, I'll, Amen. I'll hopefully see you there at some point. All right. Sounds good. Evan, great job following all this. You're the only person I read that uh, is involved in all of this reporting because you have been spot on and have uh, been very transparent with the way things are going on both sides. So thank you for taking time out to join us. Thanks, David. Talk soon. He's the man, Evan Drellick from The Athletic. We'll be back with more Dodger Talk when we continue, and we'll take your phone calls at 866-987-2570 right here on AM570 LA Sports. Get in on the off-season Dodger Talk. A lot of people should listen to me. 866-987-2570. And now back to your host, David Vassay. Thanks to Evan Drellick of The Athletic. Hope you're a little bit more informed about what the owners and players are bargaining for. But I love that this guy, Evan, who has been following this story for the better part of two years, said there's a 75% to 80% chance that the season starts on time. So that's very encouraging and maybe the most encouraging news that we have had in a while regarding the lockout. Day 42 today of the owner-imposed lockout of the players. Pitchers and catchers are scheduled to report to Camelback Ranch for the Dodgers around Valentine's Day, around Super Bowl time. So that's uh, really encouraging that tomorrow, 
Both sides will meet for the first time since November. 866-987-2570 is the phone number. The next Dodger Talk this week will be on Friday night at 7 o'clock. And then we'll be back with you on Monday, Martin Luther King Day. So those are the upcoming Dodger Talk shows. And in case you missed any of the shows or any of uh, the interview with Evan Drellick of The Athletic, you can find it on the iHeartRadio app or at am570lasports.com. Let's go out to our man, Manny Ingardina. How you doing, Manny? How's your week going? Oh, man, it's going good, DV. How you doing? Oh, tremendous. Uh, you know, I love talking labor hey, negotiations. Hey, well, you and Dino Ebel, man, I like what you were doing on Monday night, you know, talking uh, how some of these parents are, like, out of control. I mean, I can't believe you got kids, like, out there at T-ball and they're trying to assess them. I mean, really? Like, I don't know, man. That's a whole other story, I guess. But I'm glad you and Dino seem to be doing it the right way, allowing the kids to have fun, man. At that age... There's no need for travel ball. They need to be traveling up the street to the local park, in my opinion. And that's good enough. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, the labor, labor negotiations, I mean, it, it's, it's just stupid, to be honest. Like, <laughs> they need to come together. Like, there's too much money to be lost, David. That's why I'm saying that, that it's stupid. These billionaires and millionaires are going to pee away some of that money just for being stubborn. You know what I mean? And Tony, the, the Tiger Clark, has been a horrible leader for the players. So, I mean, they they should just go in there and get what they want. We all know they want that damn DH, which I'm against. But get, get their extra jobs and do not delay opening day. As far as I'm concerned, that's the best route. DV. Hey, love it, man. Keep up the great work that you always do for us Dodger fans. You're the best. Thanks, Manny. I appreciate it. And, yes, that is uh, well said. It's just stupid if you missed any of these games that are scheduled to be played in 2022. There's a lot of money at stake, and both sides can benefit. The one thing that I will say that probably is going to come out of these negotiations is, number one, yeah, a universal DH. I'm not in favor of that, and I'm not the guy that says get off my lawn. I just think there's a lot more strategy, and the National League game has been a lot more interesting than the American League game since the DH was put in place, what, in 1973? You know, <laughs> baseball, how about playing uh, – Earn your at-bats by playing in the field. And the double switches and the strategy of the game, you know, basically in in the American League, all you have to do as a manager during the game is manage your bullpen. And, uh, you know, I just just love the National League game. Being a Dodger fan as a kid, that's what I grew up with. So uh, I'm not all in with the American League uh, DH-style game, but it looks like that's what both, both sides want. And another thing that's going to come out of this uh, labor negotiation, more than likely, is expanded playoffs, similar to what we saw in the 60-game shortened season of 2020, where there will be an extra round of playoffs, a best-out-of-three playoff series, and I'm fine with that. But I do believe that all three games, if it comes to that, should be played in the team's ballpark that had the better record. There should not be 
any cross-country travel in a short three-game series. So uh, just like the Brewers came out to Dodger Stadium, the Dodgers took care of them in two games. But if there were to be a third game, it, it should be played in the home team's ballpark that has the better record. So I hope that comes out of this as well. But more than likely, expanded playoffs and a universal DH. Manny brought up Dino Ebel, and in case you missed our show on Monday night, the Dodger third base coach joined us and shared an incredible story of generosity from the one and only Uncle Albert Pujols, who Dino knows really well going back to his days on Mike Socia's staff with the Angels since day one Albert Pujols joined them. And here's the story of generosity from Albert Pujols to Dino Ebel this past year. Well, that was uh, that was something that still to this this uh, this night that I'm talking to you here on the radio station, where you know um, I came home one night after a home game. Uh, Shannon and the boys were outside. It was midnight, and uh, and I pull up to the driveway, and I'm thinking something's wrong. You know, they're never outside waiting for me. And uh, I get out of the car, and my son Brady tells me the door, the garage door's broke. And I'm like, okay, so let's let's go to Plan B. What are we going to do? And then Trey kind of was. They were all in. They were all in this thing. So Trey hears a click. He oh, Dad, I heard something click. And then he pulls up the garage door, and there's a 2021 Stingray Dodger Blue convertible Corvette, fully loaded to the tilt, <laughs> and it's sitting there. And my wife's got tears in her eyes. And instantly, I'm like, "What is this car doing in my in my uh, garage?" And there's uh, and my wife stolen? looked at me and told, <laughs> "Yeah, exactly." So my wife looked at me and said that it came from Albert Pujols, and I'm like, "Albert Pujols? I was just with him the whole night. He never said a word to me." And I get on the phone and I FaceTime him, and he's got the biggest smile in the world, and and I was I had tears in my eyes, and I said, "Albert, man." what is this? And he's like, Dino, thank you. And I'm like, thank you for what? And he's like, thank you for everything you've done. This is a gift from me to you. Enjoy it. And, uh, and I'm like, man, Albert, this is a Corvette. He's like, enjoy it, Dino. This is from me to you, my friend. And that's, uh, that was the Corvette that I was driving at the end of the season. That was the story on Monday night from Dodger third base coach Dino Ebel. If you want to hear that full interview and uh, share it with your friends about how generous and appreciative of a person that Albert Pujols is, you can podcast that interview on am570lasports.com or on the iHeartRadio app. I put it, I uh, retweeted the link um, from am570 on my Twitter at the real underscore DV. So that just shows you. Uh, the generosity and just the big heart that Albert Pujols has because I've never heard of such a generous gift given from a player to a third base coach. Maybe player to catcher, uh, pitcher to catcher. Um, you know, somebody wins a Cy Young, uh, they give out gifts. You know, I, I in the NBA, you win the MVP, people get gifts. Um, but I've never heard of something like that before. It could have happened, but I haven't heard about it. Um, and that was pretty amazing. And it wasn't just about what happens at Angel Stadium or at Dodger Stadium over the course of Albert and Dino's time together in the major leagues. My understanding is Albert Pujols would call Dino 
on a whim or not on a whim, but at the last minute and say, hey, I want to hit or, hey, I want to take round balls. And Dina would drive from his Rancho Cucamonga home over to wherever Albert wanted to meet to uh, to get his work in. And Albert never forgot that. And it came full circle, their relationship, when the Dodgers were able to sign Albert and uh, Dino was their third base coach. And it, it's, uh, it really is one of those full circle relationships. So a great story, great guy, Albert Pujols. And look, I wouldn't close the door on Albert coming back to the Dodgers. I know the Dodgers want to make their bench a little bit more experienced than what it was a year ago. And Albert was really the only veteran they had on the bench uh, a lot of nights last last year. So who's to say the door's completely closed considering how well he did against left-handed pitching? Um, so we'll see where it goes. And my understanding is, you know, Albert Pujols played in the Dominican League this winter. He didn't play that many games. Um, basically, he was doing it maybe as a last go-around in the Dominican League, maybe just to say thank you to the fans. Um, but you know, his time in the major leagues is drawing near as far as an into a Hall of Fame caliber career. Whether it's this year or next year, it's starting to come to an end. And we'll see where he goes from here. I know he'll never say that 700 home runs is at the forefront of why he wants to come back to play. But you would have to imagine 21 home runs away from 700 and the possibility, the real possibility of a dh in the national league and american league which would allow him more at bats and opportunities to hit 21 home runs uh, is very attractive and appealing to him considering how much love for the game he showed last year in a limited role with the dodgers 866-987-2570 is the phone number Uh, wanted to get to the dodger bullpen we really haven't talked about it too much but it is already a strength of the team in 2022 considering the starting rotation hasn't really been filled out the Dodger position player lineup hasn't been completely filled out with the losses of Corey Seager and the injury to Max Muncy the Dodger bullpen right now is looking really good especially with the return of Caleb Ferguson yeah remember Caleb Ferguson He was a real important piece to the Dodger bullpen before he had his second Tommy John surgery in 2020. He is scheduled to come back this season, so that's a big arm from the left side. And also, remember last offseason, the Dodgers signed Tommy Canely to be able to not pitch last year, but pitch this year. He had really good years with the Yankees in a short time, and he had Tommy John surgery. And Tommy Kinley is expected to be back this year for the Dodgers at some point. I know the Dodgers were somewhat holding out hope he could possibly be available last year at the end of the year in September, but that did not happen. His recovery from Tommy John did not go as quickly as he or the team would like, but that's a, that's a really good arm for the Dodgers to count on this year. Tommy Canely, don't forget that name, and Caleb Ferguson back to go along with guys like Blake Trinan, Bruce Star Gratterall. Uh, you would expect Victor Gonzalez to come back better. I've seen some photos of him online. John Hartung, when I was at Sportsnet LA last week, actually showed me some social media videos and photos of Victor Gonzalez, and he looks like he's lost about 30 pounds. So he's getting ready for the 2022 season. And 
there's one name that is still out there that could help the Dodger bullpen, and that is their all-time saves leader, Kenley Jansen. And I would say yes to bringing back Kenley Jansen. I know you're going to say, yeah, shocker, Dave, that you want Kenley back, but look at it. He's on a trajectory to be a Hall of Fame closer. And the one big thing for Kenley Jansen He has a fresh arm. He doesn't have as many miles on his arm as other pitchers, let alone relief pitchers, have on their arm. He only started pitching when the Dodgers converted him from a catcher to a pitcher in what, 2010? So you have to take that into account. He's got great mechanics. Last year, he learned how to be more of a pitcher than just a cutter guy. And if you look at some of his social media posts, He may be in the best shape of his entire career. So he will have a motivated Kenley Jansen, not just for a contract year, but now you have a motivated Kenley Jansen who wants to be a Hall of Famer. He wants to pitch until he's 40. He wants to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. And if you look at the closers that are in the Hall of Fame right now, none of them have pitched less than 900 innings in their career. Kenley Jansen, through 12 seasons, has pitched 705 innings so far. You would imagine he'll get to 800 by 2023. So you've got a guy that is on a trajectory of being considered for the Hall of Fame, and he's looking for probably 500 saves by the time it's all said and done. Right now, he has 350 saves. But going back to the here and now, and not the macro, but the micro of Kenley Jansen and why it would be a good fit to bring him back, Blake Trinan, yes, can be the closer for the Dodgers. And in a similar way that the Dodgers have positioned themselves for Corey Seager's departure by acquiring Trey Turner, The Dodgers did something similar when they re-signed Blake Trinan to not just a one-year contract, but a two-year contract with the possibility of Kenley signing with another team. And I could tell you this is Kenley's last chance, more than likely, to get a big contract. And I I don't envision him taking a hometown discount no matter how much he loves pitching for the Dodgers and in Los Angeles. No matter where Kenley Jansen goes, he'll always be remembered as a Dodger. That's a fact. No, He could pitch for two or three other teams, but if he is fortunate one day to be enshrined into Cooperstown, he's going in as a Dodger. And even if he's not a Hall of Fame pitcher, he'll always be associated with the Dodgers. So in my opinion, bringing back Kenley Jansen is not that big of a gamble when you examine it. Also, another possibility for the Dodgers is Colin McHugh, who had a really good year for the Tampa Bay Rays last year. He is 34 years old, but he had an ERA of 190, and he has the second best strikeout to walkout rate, a strikeout to walk rate of any available relief pitcher out there. And how about Joe Kelly, everybody's favorite cult hero in the Dodger bullpen, despite maybe not living up to the big contract that he was signed to three years ago. Is he is he healthy? He says he is, but he's had his share of shoulder 
issues over the last three years with the Dodgers, but the one thing you can't deny is he brings an edge to the Dodger bullpen, and also he has the highest ground ball rate at 59% of any other available relief pitcher on the open market. And if the price is right, why not add some depth to your bullpen with Joe Kelly or Colin McHugh? Now, like I mentioned, the Dodgers do have a really deep bullpen as it is, and they do need to add starting pitching. And their bullpen, by the way, is going to get even deeper if all goes well with the recovery to Dustin May. Because by all accounts, the Dodgers are not looking for Dustin May to come back from Tommy John surgery in the second half of the year and be in their rotation. They're looking at Dustin May to come back from Tommy John surgery and be part of their bullpen, whether it's as an opener or in some role with their bullpen. So maybe spending on that bullpen is not the priority with the whatever number of dollars are allowed for their payroll this year. Maybe it is going with the bullpen that they have now and adding some bargains after the lockout is over. Because one thing Andrew Friedman has shown that he excels at is constructing bullpens and different type of bullpens and adding to bullpens at the trade deadline. This is no different than any other year. Even if the lockout extends 10 or 15 games into the regular season, there is going to be a trading deadline, and you can be assured that Andrew Friedman, like he's done every year in charge of the Dodgers practically, he's going to add either impact pitchers or an impact player. Um, So I do see the rotation still being a need as far as adding depth, even with, in my opinion, the likelihood of Clayton Kershaw coming back. We don't know. He hasn't spoken about the health of his arm. We don't know when he's going to be ready to pitch. It could be on opening day, but it could be June. We don't know. So that's why in one of the first shows we did last week, I brought up the idea of Zach Greinke, who's a free agent, coming back on a one-year deal to add depth to this rotation and also be a great help to some of these younger pitchers. Now, he's not going to be Mr. Social, but if you approach him the right way or if you're sitting next to him in the dugout, you can pick his brain. And he did have a really good relationship with Stan Caston the first time around with the Dodgers. That'll do it for us tonight. We'll be back with you on Friday night at 7 o'clock. Thanks to Ronnie Fascio for all his help tonight. Thanks to Evan Drellick of The Athletic for giving us the latest on the negotiations that are surrounding day 42 of the Major League Baseball lockout. It's looking better than what it was 48 hours ago, so we'll see how that proposal goes tomorrow, and we'll have the latest on Friday night. Once again, in case you missed any of the show, you can podcast it on the iHeartRadio app. Have a great night. See ya. Perfect game.